As a parent, I could think of few horrors worse than one of my children being abducted. I think each of us as a child, each of us as a parent has had this moment. It's inevitable where you're at the store or the amusement park or the city festival or you're at home and they're playing outside and then suddenly you realize that you have no idea where they are. And as a parent, you have that initial wave of panic that kind of comes up into your throat, but you breathe deep and you control it, and you say, they're probably just lost somewhere. They've wandered off. They're, they're playing somewhere. But, but you start to canvas. And you start to look all around. And, and I think all of us who are parents know that the longer the search goes, the greater the panic that begins to well in our chest. Parents, are you with me? My bet is each of us could pinpoint at least one occasion that sticks in our mind, that has that in many ways defined how we approach this idea. For me, it was about three years ago. My eldest daughter, Reagan, who is 11 now, I'm guessing she was eight, maybe nine, we were up at Lake Geneva. They were having one of their Lake Geneva fests like they do every weekend because, well, that's what Lake Geneva does. And we were walking along this, this street that, that's pretty enclosed. There's nowhere to really go. We're at one end by this fountain where, where there's a lot of booths set up. And there's this long sidewalk that goes down to the beach at the other end, maybe a quarter mile at the most. And Reagan says, Dad, can I run up ahead? Sure, honey, wait for me at the boathouse up there and we'll see you in five minutes. It's really not even much more than, than, than an eye shot away, but there's a crowd and she's small. And by the time we get up to this, this, this beach house of sorts, I'm talking maybe five minutes later at the most, she's nowhere to be seen. I'm not an overprotective parent. Just watch me with my kids someday and it'll become apparent in like three minutes. <laughs> so my kids going and exploring is not something that freaks me out. I don't need to see them at all times. So I look around and I start looking and, and then it starts to hit me. There's, there's a beach with water and a deep lake that way. And there's thousands of people this way. And those fleeting thoughts start to come in. Those thoughts that we try to control. Those thoughts that we try to keep down and reined in because we know that we're scaring ourselves over something needless. I remember what it felt like that day. Is, is two minutes turned into five minutes. In five minutes turned into ten minutes, and ten minutes turned into fifteen, and I covered every square inch of ground with a radius that kept expanding, and she was nowhere to be seen. Sending feelers in different directions saying, if you find her, we'll check back. I remember when it came to the point that we started talking to the, the street police who were standing there. I lost my girl and trying to be strong, but more so trying to disguise the panic in my voice. 
I think all of us who are parents have been there. That sick, disgusting panic. What if someone has taken her? I think the time that I saw my mom the most mad was the day I kidnapped my younger brother. We were at a grocery store. My brother Arthur and I were about 11 years old, making my younger brother Tom about a year. And we were supposed to be selling candy bars for this, this school fundraiser or Cub Scouts or sports. I forget what it was, but you know, you stand at the door, can I have a dollar please? Here's some chocolate, y you know the deal. We've all been hit. Well, pretty soon my brother Arthur and I, we sold out our candy bars. We were bored, we were gonna come back in. And we all know how those shopping carts are set up where you have that seat in the front where you can put an infant um, for mom to push around. And we remember as we were coming around this aisle and we looked down the aisle and there at the end we saw my brother Tom sitting in the cart. My mom had pushed him up to the deli and she turned around to walk maybe 10 feet away. And do you ever have those moments when the most amazing thoughts cross <laughs> your mind? And so Arthur and I look at each other and go, we got to act quick. And we bolt down, but quietly like you ninja feet all the way. My brother sees us. He starts to wave. He starts to laugh. We, shh, we take him out and we run back down the aisle. We go all the way down to like the Entenmann's case that's like there on the end. And we're peeking around. Let's watch mom. This is going to be great. <laughs> now we could see mom, but mom couldn't see us. And, and looking at this line of sight all the way down one of these grocery store aisles, the, the panic that set into my mom as she turned around, paused, a moment of clarification strikes, and watch her pace pick up threefold in speed, going back and forth looking. Did he climb out? Did he walk away? Where could he be? She started to come around one aisle. We'd run around the other, laughing the whole way, carrying this on for minute after minute, which doesn't seem long unless you're in a situation that you think the one most precious to you is gone. It was about five minutes of this, give or take. And I remember it was like security materialized out of the bread aisle. I never saw so many guards descend and apparate out of nothingness in my life. And before we knew it, there was like five people on us with earpieces in and everything else going, who are you? Where'd you find him? What's going on? Did, did you see him lost? You ever have those moments where you try to cover on the spot? And then here comes mom. And she sees us. And there's this look of recognition. And may I just stress that the recognition is not one of joy. <laughs> and I think as, as children, we've all had these moments where we've seen our parents turn multiple shades of red. I remember literally the music in the grocery store stopped. I remember every head turning to look at us as we did the walk of shame with the security guards outside the premise, never more glad in our entire lives that there were five guards around us <laughs> to spare us from the wrath of mom. What does Jesus do for you?
We've been talking about that this last week. What does Jesus do for you? What I want to share with you today is that Jesus rescues us from our captivity. There's a passage I'd like to show you. Those of us who have been around the FOF block have seen this before, but too often we only focus on the beginning. In Mark 10, it says this, The Son of Man, Jesus, did not come to be served, but to serve. And here at FOF, we talk about that a lot. We talk about how that's supposed to be a, a mantra for us in our position, in our approach to, to serving in the kingdom of God, to serving in our church, to serving in our community, to serving people of this world, that, that God did not call us to be served and waited on and fed, but God called us to give and feed and give our lives for others. But so often we, we leave the last part off where he says, and to give his life as a ransom for many. Now, I want you to think about that for a moment. Jesus says, I have not come to be served. I've come to serve and to give my life as what? A ransom. See, the danger of church is that we get churchy. And so we see these words and they become churchy words to us that start to become devoid of what they actually mean. But guys, I got to tell you here today, church words were originally regular words. And so when Jesus says he came to give his life as a ransom, it's what he means. It means that there are those who are in captivity and Jesus chooses to enter the fray to ransom them back. Now this is very difficult for me because if you think about what, what is a ransom, at its core, at its heartbeat, what, what, is, what, what does this word mean? Well, simply it means if someone has been kidnapped, if someone has been abducted, if someone around the globe internationally finds themselves like this, someone intercedes on their behalf to do what? buy them off to pay the price that they're asking for in the hopes of possibly getting them back. The United States government has an official policy that they don't negotiate with terrorists. And yet what's so difficult for me is we see Jesus doing, shall we say, just that. See, I want Jesus to be SEAL Team 6. When we're held captive, I want Jesus to execute a surgical strike and double tap Satan through the head and bring us out clean because he's stronger, he's tougher, he's bigger, and he's watching our back and can free us from anything that chooses to try and take us. But that's not what Mark 10 says. It says he comes to give his life as a ransom to say, my life for yours. Because the reality that Jesus came to teach is that each and every one of us in this room are abducted. We're slaves. 
we are kidnapped and we are being held for ransom. Jesus, on one occasion, he says this, I tell you the truth, so we know he's not lying. Everyone who sins is a slave to sin. Have any of you here sinned today? Everyone who sins is a slave to sin. In the ancient world, the way kidnap and ransom would often work is it often revolved around slavery. Slavery was common in the ancient world. It was a practice. It wasn't restricted to race like it was in our 19th century. Anyone could become a slave. It would happen in a number of ways. Someone would get into debt. Bankruptcy did not exist. Your life would become forfeit as a slave until your debt was paid. You're a conquered people, and Rome has come in. And there's mines to be worked and fields to be plowed. And cheap labor that's good is hard to find. So they take you as a slave. You'd find yourself in poverty. You wouldn't know where else to turn. You would sell yourself into slavery. It was estimated that in the time of Jesus in the city of Rome, one out of every three people was a slave. And the things that defy our imagination for the ancient world when you're talking populations near a million. Someone who was abducted was a very real thing. And Jesus says, I tell you the truth, everyone who sins like a slave. You're powerless. You're helpless. You're at the mercy of your captor. I want to introduce you to someone today. Someone who's going to share his story with you. His name is Brian Nuss, and I asked him if he'd speak to you today about some things that he experienced and how Jesus showed him the way. So would you welcome Brian forward for me? Good morning. Um, excuse me if I choke up. This is still, still hits home in a couple of spots for me. Um, questions of a troubled soul. Have faith and be baptized. Attempt to be an ever-improving Christian by works and faith, knowing works that will not save you. Repent your sins and ask for forgiveness. God created the world and it was good. He created men. He created women. And it was good. Then the experiment begins. The devil tempts man and the world falls into sin. God has power over evil but will not destroy it. Does God desire evil in the world to test man? Because he could destroy evil if he wanted to, right? Now God made man and woman so he knows, that he knows their weaknesses. So he knows the problems we'll have with the temptations of Satan. Is humanity the ball in a cosmic game of ping pong? No, because we already know or believe that God wins the game. But to what end? Heaven or hell? For who and why? Because of the circumstances of the world we happen to be born into? 
I raise these questions after reading the New Testament twice and after 14 days of my 21 days locked up for the temptations of Satan. After talking to and listening to the conversations of black, Latino, and white prisoners, now, this ain't no good sample of, the, of humanity in general, but it's the best sample of the biggest group Jesus is after. These men, mostly under or around the age of 30 years old, have no clue of the Word of God and the salvation it brings. They could care less about heaven or hell or eternal life and the glory of God. They're trying to live in the only world they know. Their attitudes about the value of life, how they treat women, the authority of human law, much less God's law, makes me cry for us all. All these souls belong to God. He made them and put them where they're at for what purpose? Because we can't know good if we don't know bad? I hope that's not it either. Are we one petri dish among many and God, Jesus, the Holy Spirit, Moses, John, and whoever else are sitting up there looking down saying something like, well, maybe free will wasn't such a good idea. Or be fruitful and multiply, we should rethink that one. Or over in this dish, let's try just one type, man or woman, not both, because that's not working out so well. Or in one, let's not give them dominion over all the animals. Or in this one, let's make them a lot smarter or limit the power of Satan over them because they obviously can't handle him now. Are we an experiment and how badly are we failing our father? Are we failing our father? Are we failing ourselves? I know this seems like a lot. I know this seems like, I know what it seems like from here, but we are not he and he's not telling. Make no mistake, my friends. I do not question my God's will or his plan because I know little of it. I have faith in his vision for me and for all of us. And then I always come back to have childlike faith. Thanks. I don't know if you caught the context while Brian read. What he just read to you today, he wrote from jail. He wrote at a time when he was captive, powerless, abducted, if you will. But if you talk to Brian, the real captivity was not the 21 days spent in a jail cell. It was the sin issue that got him there. What is yours? What is your sin? What is it that holds you captive? Because Jesus says everyone who sins is a slave to sin. You hear this come out in the way people talk, I think, often. When people say things like, I can't believe I did it again. I just can't help it. Right? We like to boast that we are free. We like to think that we have free will. But the spiritual reality seems to actually be that you and I are in captivity. And that you and I so desperately need to be freed. Paul writes this to a church in Rome. 
all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified freely by his grace through the redemption that came by Christ Jesus. Do you see that word redemption? Do you see it tucked in there in line three? Remember that the church words used to actually be regular words. And the danger is in a church circle we like to throw around words like atone and ransom and redeem. But what does it mean? It means to sit there in ancient Rome and look at that slave, path, that slave platform and say, I will buy that one. Now he belongs to me. What does it mean to redeem? It means to go to your abductor and say, you've issued a ransom. Here is the price. Now give him back to me. What Paul tries to tell us here in Romans is that Jesus has come down. And he's seen each and every one of us in captivity, abducted, slaves to sin and all its effects. But that what Jesus does for you in the midst of your weakness, in the midst of your addiction, in the midst of your sin, he redeems you. He buys you now as his own. He frees you. And now Jesus says, you belong to me. And you are free from its effects. You are free from the fear. You are free from every hold it once had on you. You are free indeed. And so you'll see the Bible say just like absolutely amazing things. Like since we have flesh and blood, he too shared in our humanity so that by his death he might destroy him who holds the power of death and free those who all their lives were held in slavery by that fear. You see the prophets cry out things where God says, I will ransom them from the power of the grave. I will redeem them from death. And mockingly says, where, O death, are your plagues? Where, O grave, is your destruction? Because when God sets you free, you are free indeed. See, what this means is the entire time that we've been sitting here today, we've been looking at this poor soul. And each of us has been thinking that this is you and me. But do you know who sits in abduction with the cuffs behind the bag, the lamp over the head, and the bag over the face? This isn't you and me. This is Jesus who paid the ransom for you and me. For a parent, there is no greater fear than the one we most deeply love being taken from us. God's love for you is so extreme that he sits in abduction to set us free. God demonstrates his own love for, in this, for us in this. While we were still sinners, 
Christ died for us. Do you know what Stockholm Syndrome is? Have you heard of this? It came as the result of a bank robbery in Sweden back in 1973. Some bank tellers and bank employees were held, I think, for about a week as part of a bank robbery. They were held hostage in a vault. And the police started to notice something very peculiar. These, these hostages, these abductees, began to sympathize with their captors. They began to defend them when they were offered aid, when they were offered freedom. They sided with those who kept them in captivity. It was later coined by a sociologist, by a criminologist, the, the Stockholm effect. Criminologists today say that, that in all abduction cases, be it kidnap, or even be it things like a battered wife syndrome, an abused child, 27% come to identify with their captor, to sympathize with them, to pity them, to love them, to defend them. In the spiritual realm, I think it's higher. I think it's 100%. I think we get so used to being in captivity, so used to being a slave to the motives and temptations and inclinations that drive us and control us, that we become afraid of what life might be like to truly be free. What will I do without that anger? Because it fuels me and defines me. What will I do without my pride? I've got nothing left. If I was to just say no after 15 years of popping it, shooting it, drinking it, smoking it, I'd feel empty inside. It'd kill me. We're all in Stockholm effect with Satan, aren't we? We know we're supposed to hate him, but we love him. Because he comes to define you and me. But God comes. Even when we reject him, even when we resist him, even while we are still sinners. Do you know what he does? He still sets you free. So brothers, sisters, you here this morning, you who are in captivity, you who have been abducted, and you who have come to fall even in love with your chains, may you hear Christ calling you to something so much greater, so much deeper, so much grander. May he hear you, may you hear him calling. You are free. And may you know the price he had to pay. Would you rise and pray with me? Last week we looked at this verse. And I just invite you to pray it again in unison with me. I'd like you to put the words on your lips, but I'd like you to change the us to me. Go to I instead of we. 
And so it comes out something like this. God demonstrates his own love for me in this. While I am still a sinner, Christ died for me. If you are searching for freedom, for the first time or the tenth, I invite you here today to pray with me. God, you came not to be served, but to serve and to give your life as a ransom for each of us here today. Lord, we forget. We forget our chains, we forget our bondage, we forget our captivity. But you come and cry to us in our darkness with the bag over our head, saying, come on. Come with me. I've set you free. So, Lord, may, may your words resonate in our hearts today that speak this. God demonstrates his own love for me in this. While I am still a sinner, Christ died for me. For those of us, God, who have been in darkness so long that we feel there is no hope. For those of us, God, who feel so burdened and chained that nothing can break it, let us see, God, that you are stronger than any chains of Satan or this world. May the words of Scripture become our cry. God demonstrates his own love for me in this. While I am still a sinner, Christ died for me. For those of us, God, who have failed again and again, we think we're free and we become enslaved. running back to our captor, being caught again. May we know that you will never cease to pay the price. For God demonstrates his love for me in this. While I am still a sinner, Christ died for me. And forgive us, Lord. Forgive us, for we love, we love our captivity. We've come to love at times our abductor more than you. To understand him and sympathize with him more than you. Whose love is never ending. Forgive the distortion of our hearts. Forgive the distortion of our minds. Forgive us, God, for choosing chains. When you, our Father, are calling us home. And God, may we remember what your scriptures say. That God demonstrates his love for me in this. While I am still a sinner, Christ died for me.